All right, here we go. It is August 11th, 2021. Welcome to the QTR Podcast. I am QTR. First and foremost, I want to shout out the people that make this podcast possible. They are my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout them out. I will give you the two rules for the podcast, and then we will be on our way. First and foremost, I want to shout out my friends over at JM Bullion. They are my exclusive gold and silver provider. This is the only place I have bought my gold and silver bullion from for, I don't know, probably going on around two years now. I love the people at JM Bullion. They have nearly a decade of experience. They've done over $3 billion in sales. They turn around my orders very quickly, and QTR podcast listeners have their own salesperson at JM Bullion. The lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Laura at jmbullion.com. Send her an email if you don't feel like going on the website, dealing with, you know, looking through the inventory, or just ordering online, which I know some people prefer not to do when it comes to gold and silver bullion. What I can say is they always ship my orders pretty much same day. The packaging is discreet, and I just love doing business with JM Bullion. Why, I am happy to promote them on the podcast and give them a shout-out every time uh, I do a podcast. So if you're looking for gold and silver bullion, check out my friends at JM Bullion. Either email laura at jmbullion.com and tell her QTR sent you, or check out the links in my podcast description, and you can link right over to their Twitter or to their website, etc., etc. How about that? This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Doomberg Terminal. The Doomberg Terminal is my new favorite substack. It is a take on markets from a perspective that I like reading it from, which is to say critical, but not just like flailingly critical and skeptical, critical and skeptical because the writers know their shit and they point out things that would be of interest to people like myself, to people like my listeners who don't necessarily believe everything that they are told from everybody in the financial media and the financial news and just anything that's going on in the capital markets in general, which is why I love reading the Doomberg Terminal. It is a 100% free substack to read. It's a free blog. Go check it out. The link to that is in my podcast description. Also, great content on Twitter if you want to follow the Doomberg Terminal on Twitter. That link is also in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my brother George Gammon over at the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform. I was just talking to George this morning. Looks like he will be back on the podcast relatively soon. And man, I got a lot of shit I want to talk to him about. But in the interim, check out his new platform, Rebel Capitalist Pro with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson. They have several other experts over at the platform. There is like a live Q&A that happens between either George or one of his experts every single day. Their forum over there where they talk macro and they talk investing ideas, I think is an invaluable resource George Gammon is one of my favorite people in the financial world. He has burst onto the scene with, you know, 400,000 YouTube subscribers in the time that it has taken me to get 12 subscribers. George is just generally kicking ass, and that's because he comes by it honestly. He wants to get real answers. He wants to help people understand what's going on in a world of -of out-of-control central bankers. So check out Rebel Capitalist Pro and George Gammon. Those links are in my podcast description. Tell him QTR sent you. He will make sure that you get a free trial, anything that you need to check out the platform before you wind up paying for it. And that goes for all of my patrons and uh, people that I uh, support the podcast. Always tell them I sent you and always tell them you want to try it free and they'll get you hooked up. One of those guys is Sang Lucci. Him and Wall Street Jesus have been working on a little piece of software called the Steam Room for nearly a decade now. It is the top-notch, top-of-the-heat piece of software when it comes to 
tracking flow coming into the options market, which is, of course, a great way to telegraph moves in the equities market. What does that mean? It means it can be, if you don't use it like a herb, it can be an invaluable resource and can really pay for itself if you use it the right way. Wall Street Jesus and Sang Lucci are experts in options. They have been trading options since I've known them. And when I came on the scene in 2012 and first met these guys, they had already been doing it for years and they were already experts. They were the first people to point out unusual options activity as an investing strategy. They are pioneers. They invented the term sweepers that you hear every day. Check out the Steam Room. It is an aesthetically beautiful piece of software that hopefully will help you get an edge in the market. Again, you want to try it for free? Go to the podcast description, email Lucci, check him out on Twitter, tell him QTR sent you. The guy's like my fucking homeboy. I just texted him this morning. I want him to come back on the podcast too. All these people come by it honestly, and I can recommend them as human beings in addition to recommending their product and or service. Remember that Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons? I endorse this product and or service. (laughs) This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks. You guys have been making the podcast work now for two years. I love you guys. Along with you, Matthew Zimmer and my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, and Camila Soul. Your continued support is appreciated. Some of my longest-running supporters, like M3 Max Mulvihill, who was my first patron ever, over two years, over three years now as a patron. Fuck you. That's awesome, Max. You're the man. Mark Haywood, Kyle Thomas, Darius Kordonsky, thank you guys for your continued support. And some of my newest patrons, like my man Anthony Dench, checked in from the land down under. What's going on, brother? Thank you so much for that kind support. Uh, yesterday when you checked in on Patreon. Adam Schindler, Nick Grinups, and Texas Pete. Thank you guys so much. Diane Moore, and how about my friend Philip McCrevis? Thank you so much for your very kind patron, my friend. I really appreciate it. It keeps the podcast going. DeWalt Alderman, Gilbert Cole, Sabin Smith, Pavel, and Neil Cooper, along with JB and Ryan Kellogg, Scrooge McDuck, Brad Nesseth, Gregory Endress, Julie Bissett. Thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast. And a couple patrons that have been with me for a minute before we get started, like David Matson, Mem55, I don't want you to think I forgot you, Kaiser, Bobby Brooks, what's up, man? Adam Baumley. And Thomas Nunn, thank you so much. This podcast is not investment advice. I am not an investment advisor. I hold no SEC registrations, no licenses from FINRA. I don't have a CFA. I don't have a CPA. This is just open discussion and opinions. Please always, always, always consult your professional financial advisor. At least fucking grab somebody that wears a tie every day and ask them questions because I'm sitting here in my goddamn pajamas and it's fucking 1130 in the morning. So you definitely don't want to listen to me. With that being said... Uh, what's the other thing I got to say? Oh yeah, this podcast has a three drink minimum, formerly a two drink minimum adjusted for inflation. See, so not all things about inflation are bad because when the rising tide lifts all boats, including your drink minimum, uh, eventually, well, I'm not a doctor and that's not a recommendation to drink. I can only say that I implement a three drink minimum for myself. And what does he say in office space? Brian has six pieces of flair or you're only required to wear six pieces of flair, but Brian has 10 and a tremendous smile, you know? So the, the minimum is three, but go for four with a tremendous smile. <laughs> I got my brother, Andy Sheckman, the chief executive officer of Miles Franklin and an expert in precious metals with me today. I couldn't be happier to get the show started. 
As I have already said, Andy Sheckman is the president and owner of Miles Franklin Precious Metal Investments. Prior to starting Miles Franklin in 1989, he was a licensed financial planner specializing in Swiss franc investments and alternative investments. Oh, my other expertise. Uh, at Miles mm-hmm. Franklin, uh, a company that has eclipsed $5 billion in sales, Andy has developed an operation that maintains trust, collaboration, and ethical behavior, superior customer service, and satisfaction to better serve their clients. And when people ask for Andy's contact info, I always give them Andy's direct email address, much to, I, I don't know if it's his chagrin, but I always send people right to Andy because, you know, he's approachable, he's a great guy to do business with, and also, he has a very similar take on the world politically as I do too. I think Andy comes from the libertarian school and he can correct me if I'm wrong in a second. But that is why I wanted to start the discussion today with something new um, because we often talk about precious metals, Andy. And I want to talk today about what your reaction is to what's happened in terms of the COVID narrative since March, which is the last time you were on, until now. So right around March, vaccines were starting to get distributed. It looked as though normal life was going to be returning. And now we we seem like maybe we're in a spot where it could be 2020 all over again, at least from my perspective. So hello, how are you? And what do you think? Chris, thanks, man. I appreciate very much to be here with you. Um, uh, these are ridiculous times. I, I would equate what's happening right now to or draw a I guess a parallel to uh, a world that has become incredibly divisive where you have uh, almost like the makings of a civil war between red and blue states uh, between uh, different minorities black and white between rich and poor uh, between vaccinated and not um in in my line of work certainly i speak with so many people who are vehemently opposed to being mandated into vaccines i am vehemently opposed to being mandated into anything by a government whether it's vaccines or anything that uh that would be shoved down our throat but when you talk about the environment that we find ourselves in, yeah, absolutely. I think it has created um, a divide between uh, between friends and family members, and I think that it is uh, certainly nowhere near being uh, uh, being through. I think this is just beginning uh, on many levels where. Uh, you are going to see um, vaccine mandates. I, I saw that the uh, the Democrats are trying to lobby for uh, vaccine mandates uh, to travel even domestically. Um, you're going to see it in uh, in in I think greater and greater frequency. I have a feeling that the new Delta variant and the Lambda variant and all these variants will, in many respects. Uh, lock us back down, whether it be completely and totally locked back down like we were last year, or more just so in terms of our civil liberties and our freedoms and the things that we are able to do. Uh, 
what that does is enables the Federal Reserve to continue on their policy of uh, stimulus and subsidies and printing. And really, I think there is no other way uh, for the ball to be kept in the air other than to crank up the printing press uh, and to continue to uh, debase the currency, to uh, to buy the back end of the bond market, uh, to to denigrate our freedoms, and to what end? Um, I I think it is uh, it's as scary of a time, Chris, as I've seen in 31 years in this industry, and. Um, you know, normally the discussion about the economy, uh, is one that is a tough, a tough conversation between uh, people who understand what's happening and people who don't, but you throw into the mix the, uh, the issue of, uh, a pandemic of mandated vaccines of, um, being told what to do by our leaders, I guess there's a certain percentage of people that just want to be controlled, uh, no matter how corrupt our politicians are. It's just something that they feel is, is um, I don't know what they feel, but I think there's a certain segment <laughs> of the population that, that, that wants to be controlled, Chris. And I, I don't I, know. I, I think, think you're right. This- I mean, there was just an article I saw the other day that I tweeted out where the woman basically wrote an editorial, I think for the Washington post that basically said, you know, take my civil liberties. I'm not using them. And I'm trying to find it right now. I put it on my uh, Twitter account and I'm going to read the title of the article to you as soon as I find it. Uh, Here it is. Uh, This was the times, which I think is an Irish publication. And the title of the article is we need big brother to beat this virus. And the subtitle of the article is, Don't let the civil liberties lobby blind us to the fact that greater state surveillance, including ID cards, is required. And it was by a woman named Claire Foge, or Foges. Uh, and that's what I mean. That's exactly what you're talking about, right? Like, I, have you ever seen anybody in such a, such a hurry to relinquish their rights? Because they're not coming no. back if they relinquish them. Well, you know, I mean, you, you, it's a common... It's a common theme, you know, look at 9-11 and, and all of the rights we relinquished as travelers, you know, uh, uh, taking off your shoes and, uh, and you know, being, uh, being frisked. Uh, you know, I went through the airport a year ago with my family uh, as we went on a, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, went on a ski trip and literally, you know, TSA agent, uh, felt my 13 year old daughter up and down for about three minutes like she was a terrorist and you know the the um, the once you relinquish your rights in the name of safety and protection you never get them back and I yeah. think that's kind, kind of the road that we are heading down which I find to be very concerning and and but even worse yet Chris when you try to have a discussion with people uh, even people that are very well read, perhaps just reading the wrong stuff, uh, it, it it isn't like it used to be, where two people could have a conversation uh, that was civil and uh, and you know, I guess what I'm getting at is that if we don't share 
thoughts and information will never learn anything but it's gotten to the point where you can't even do that any longer where the the uh, separation if you will the dichotomy between people who uh, embrace civil liberties and embrace the the, the right to choose are being um, you know ridiculed and lambasted right by pe- by people who want to be told what to do uh, and you know I guess in the end none of us really know how this all plays out but I will simply say to you that I find the environment an environment where I've always had to deal with being kind of you know a, a black sheep in terms of conventional popular wisdom but now uh, you know it's you it's just it's become really, really difficult to have conversations with people who don't look at the world through a similar lens. You know, I, I have always remained objective. I think one of the keys to my success, Chris, is being objective. Sure. Trying to to put myself in the position of the other person. If you're going to make an argument and you don't view the argument through the opposition's eyes, and I use opposition just for lack of a, a better term, then you'll never be a good debater. Um, I think that in order to understand someone's viewpoint, you have to put yourself in in their shoes. And I've always tried to do that and remain impartial and look for holes in the argument that I present. Um, And I think it's it's become increasingly difficult uh, for me anyway to, to do that because there are some things that I understand. I mean, I get what they're saying. You know, like I said, a lot of people that I consider to be friends of mine are very well read. They're just reading the wrong stuff. Uh, they they understand uh, that in their mind that, you know, these types of things uh, are for our best interest. And if you don't agree with that, you, you can't have a civil conversation anymore. It turns right. into ang- anger and, uh, and, and venom. And uh, I find that to be maybe one of the more concerning things plaguing this society right now is the inability to have a conversation between two people uh, with differing opinions and what that really means. And the divisiveness that is creating between families and friends is something I've never seen before. You know, it was bad enough when Trump was in office trying to have a conversation with, with, uh, you know, someone who didn't support Trump. It, It was disgusting. It made me stop watching the news it made me stop watching uh, you know the the tonight show or whatever any of that stuff where it was just a constant constant bashing of 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 a different ideology than perhaps others had and that's not what this country was founded upon it was founded upon unity and founded upon uh you know respecting people's opinions and whether or not you disagreed you respected it. And I think that's where we're heading and heading down a road where not only are we giving up our freedoms in the name of, of this, but we are eviscerating uh, the, the, the value of the U S dollar in the name of it, uh, completely eviscerating it, Chris, to the extent that 40% of every dollar ever created in the history of the United States was done. So in 2020 uh, in the name of, uh, you know, fighting this this pandemic and uh, and, right. and giving stimulus to uh, to a whole 
nation of people who have decided that it would be better to sit on the couch earning uh, stimulus and unemployment to the tune of what amounts to almost 60000 a year annualized than work. Right. And, uh, it's and then creating, everybody's surprised when we have a fucking labor shortage. You know, yeah, everybody's right. looking, looking around at each other like, how could this happen? And you have you have you have leading economists who are unable to draw the straight line between paying people to stay home and why there's not enough people to work, which is what? Econ 101, behavioral incentives. I mean, first first grade economics. I mean, come on. Well, and that's just it. I mean, and people have become blinded to um, to their own ideology and. Um, you know, I just got a, a, a notice on my phone today talking about the next round of stimulus checks that are coming out. Um, I have one of my biggest clients is, is owns a um, blacktop company in, in Detroit and uh, has to turn away business. He has one employee. That's it. One. Everyone else won't work. They're being paid uh, by the state of Michigan. Um, more money and by the federal government to stay home and do nothing than to go and work and be gainfully employed. He's had to turn down. He basically is close to shutting down the business. And this is a guy who's been incredibly successful as an entrepreneur and as a businessman. He can't find more than one employee, one, to do his work. And, you know, I don't know how uh, successful a blacktop company can be with an 85-year-old owner and one employee. So, that's kind of the point, and, and, and that's not meant to sensationalize. That's truth, and I hear it everywhere. Here in Florida, where we're more open than, than most, just about every restaurant you walk towards or any, any open shop, there are signs that say, bear with us, uh, we are short-staffed. Everywhere. So, yeah. So these are the kind of problems that I'm talking about, uh, the law of unintended consequences, and the question really becomes, was it intended or not? Do, do the powers that be know exactly what they are doing? Are they trying to turn us into a socialist country where, um, you know, you're just paid by the state, you, you suck off the state's tit and uh, buy everything from Mother Amazon? Uh, or are we going to, and, and are we going to turn our back on the fact that small businesses in this country represented 40% of GDP and 130 or 40,000 of them are gone forever? And those that aren't are hanging on by a thread and you see more restrictions levied upon them they'll be gone and you know i think we need to all be careful for what we wish for in that respect where you may want a government to help protect you but the decisions that our government is making like this new infrastructure bill and the three and a half trillion dollar bill that is supposed to follow it is truly gutting the value of the u.s dollar with a trillion seconds ago being 31,688 years ago, with the fact that we've printed, uh, you know, 40% of every dollar ever created last year and continuing to do the same thing this year, we are in effect sowing the seeds of our own demise. And, and I think that is in the name of uh, protecting us all from a pandemic, I think it's going to be uh, a very a very sobering reality when all of this plays out, when the world starts to look for alternatives to the U.S. dollar that is paying nothing in the way of compensation at 1% interest rate on the 10-year treasury for the, uh, the evisceration 
in inflation that is happening. And so when the rest of the world starts to look for alternative and uh, the tidal wave of, of dollars come rushing back on shore here, uh, if we think inflation is bad now, uh, wait until an alternative springs up. And I do believe ultimately we will see an alternative, and I think it will emanate from the BRICS nations uh, and probably tied to gold, but we can talk about that later. I just think we ain't seen nothing yet. I think we continue down this path. It's going to get very scary very quick. Well, and it begs the question, one of the things that I tweet all the time is what the hell would happen in the case where we have a real problem, right? Mm-hmm. Think think of the overreaction and the government overreach we're witnessing as a result of a virus that's a couple times deadlier than the flu for some people, disproportionately uh, less deadly for younger people, and more proportionately uh, deadly for the elderly and the immunocompromised. What would happen if we had a real problem? I mean, this is, it's a problem. I remember an epidemiologist saying before COVID uh, became mainstream news, I was listening to I don't know, somebody in like January of 2020 when I was first investigating things. And I remember listening to somebody saying, yeah, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. It'll just be a rough ride. And that's that's what it feels like. And I was listening to Dan Crenshaw, who did a podcast a couple months ago. I think he was on Rogan, you know, and he was saying there's certain people in this country that just don't want to get over it. And when you think of how the country handles the flu, and I'm not equating it to the flu. That's what everybody says. It's not the flu. It's I know it's not the fucking flu. Okay? I was the first one to fucking to to tell everybody it wasn't gonna be the flu and maybe we should get some facts before we make some decisions. Now with facts in hand, right, I know it's more deadly than the flu. I know it's more infectious, but it isn't the end of the world. And again, does the response and the timing of the response, what we're doing now, like you're saying, basically sacrificing the dollar and just putting the pedal to the metal in MMT world, we're, we're making an enormous bet on modern monetary theory right now without thinking of the consequences because of this virus that, you know, is slightly deadlier than the flu, slightly deadlier than influenza. I mean, it's just, it is an unbelievable overreaction, I think, at, at this point. And uh, I, I, I can't help but wonder what the hell happens in the case of a real problem. Let me ask you a question. I want to go back to what we first talked about. And we had no prep for this podcast at all. I texted you, said you want to do a podcast. You said yes. So just tell me if I'm if I'm reaching too far back. I want to know if you personally got vaccinated or not. And then I have a follow-up question. No, I, I have not. Um, although I am under increasingly... Um, under an increasingly amount of... Uh, a pressure to be, but at this point, no, I have not. Yeah. Okay. So I'm right there with you. So let's talk about why you haven't yet. Uh, why I haven't yet. You know, as the owner of a precious metals company who has never forgotten where I've come from, I talk to people all day long. Uh, I'm not the, I'm not uh, like Peter Schiff who doesn't talk to his clients, but just to people like you all day long. I talk to people like you all day long. Uh, we don't long know if he talks to his clients day. or not. I know that's, uh... Yeah, I don't I don't think Peter chats with his clients. Maybe he does, but I'm talking the public at large. So I'm not okay. going to throw Peter under. I like Peter. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. I'm just saying a, a public figure 
like a like a Peter or like a sure. uh, Mike Maloney. These are guys that that probably don't chat with their clients all day long. I do, and I am bombarded with fact, um, with with uh, with all sorts of information uh, that has got me very very concerned about the long term effects of of a vaccine that has been rushed to market without FDA or without really any, uh, without any trials, without what normally goes into creating a vaccine. Uh, I just, I've never been a vaccine person. I've never taken a flu shot uh, other than getting my children, you know, measles, mumps and rubella. That's it. I've never had uh I've never had any vaccines and they frighten me. Uh, it frightens me in the respect that this was rushed to market, that this is a reaction, that they've never done this type of vaccine before. And then bing, bang, boom, there's four or five companies that, that have, have a vaccine. I don't, I don't know, Chris, it just, it's to the point where I feel as though um, something that is rushed this much uh, in response to to uh, to the virus has me has me uh, concerned as hell that the the you know what comes down the road hasn't been thought out well enough. All right, so let's just talk about that because there were clinical trials. Now, if you want to argue that there were that there's no long term safety data, I will uh, I'll stand with you on that. But there were clinical trials uh, that took place. Uh, and, uh, so to say that there were no trials, well, clinical trials, clinical trials that, um, you know, were, were fast tracked. I mean, what good is a clinical trial that's a few weeks or a few months old when you're talking about, you know, something that potentially when they're talking about booster shots and you got this guy, this scientist in Sweden who says adults are going to need five shots, clinical trials, but has there been any, there haven't been any trials that, that uh, unless I'm mistaken, that you know tell us what's going to happen a year or two or three after taking it down the road. And you know, I read. Look, let me just be completely straight with you. Sure, uh, please do. I get I get told by, I get bombarded with articles, uh, and rhetoric, whether it's true or not. Okay, I get bombarded with the fact that there are a lot of people out there. And I'm not saying I'm one of them. I'm just telling you that I get bombarded with people who actually will tell you that this is a depopulation effort, uh, that they are trying to pare down the number of people on this planet by by massive uh, vaccines. Uh, And, you know, you start to listen to this stuff and read it enough and talk to enough people who tell you that – the uh, the powers that be are, are 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 trying to harm you rather than help you, and I mean that's that's pretty much the narrative that I get bombarded with. You start to have conflicting thoughts in your mind, um, and I just figured I'd hunker down and work out, stay healthy, eat safe, uh, yeah, you know, do the best I can to. to to take care of myself uh, in a way that wouldn't require a vaccine because I am just inundated with information that would tell me I would be sadly mistaken to do it. 
Yeah, and you know, look, I'm I'm right there with you in the sense that it's something about it. I think it's the campaign. I think it's the propaganda campaign. I was very pro-vaccine during the midst of the pandemic. I was looking forward to the companies coming out with the vaccine. And then it was, you know, I guess through summer 2020, through when the vaccines finally came out in early 2021, that I kind of, you know, assumed maybe I had already had it because, you know, I continued to really go about my life pretty much as normal as of, you know, April or March of 2020. Um, and that includes, you know, training and being in the gym and being around people that I know, you know, had tested positive and having symptoms at one point last year, myself, et cetera. And, uh, and, you know, uh, the more data that we got, the less worried I, I seem to be about it, but there's something bothersome. You know, I don't necessarily agree with you that it's a depopulation effort. And I know you you just said that that's not right or wrong, but you're just saying there is a lot of, uh, there's a wide scope of opinions on the vaccine. Definitely. Um, But what I'll say is something about the propaganda campaign behind getting people vaccinated in conjunction with the narrative that has changed on the vaccine. You know, Joe Biden said in July, in June or July, you won't get COVID if you get vaccinated. Right. And now what what have we seen? We've and I'm not taking Joe Biden's advice on anything, but the point is nobody really knows. You know, it seems like everybody's flailing. Can you get it? Can you get COVID when you've been vaccinated? Well, at first it was no, and now it's yes. You know, can you transmit it? Well, uh, can you transmit it? First it was no, and now it's yes. You know, and, and so the narrative keeps changing. Oh, one vaccine, you know, will get to herd immunity, and, and herd immunity can be done with natural immunity also. To now, it has to just be done through vaccines. And by the way, you're going to need booster shots, like you said, for variants. And so that's what well, I look, find you- bothersome. Yeah, you said it much. Look, I wasn't prepared for that type of question. In fact, in all the interviews I've done in the last year and a half, you're the first person to really ask me that. So I really wasn't prepared in how to answer it. And simply to say to you, you said it best, is that, you know, there's there's just um, there's just so much unknown about it. And that, more than anything, has concerned me. I, I don't believe that this is a depopulization uh, campaign. I will tell you, there are a lot of people who do. Um, I don't. I don't believe that uh, that you know there was a concerted effort by the governments of the world to poison their citizens. A lot of people do, um, and I'm I'm inundated with information every day that talks about the negative effects of it. Yeah. So much so that it's got me in my mind conflicted as to what the right decision is, um, and. So I've just erred on the side of trying to take care of myself naturally. Sure. And, and you're right. It, it's the it's it's the uncertainty and it's it's the uh, unknown uh, that that has me really really freaked out about it. So I don't begrudge people who do it. In some ways, I'm almost somewhat jealous in that they can live their life much more freely perhaps than uh, than those of us who haven't but at least at least outwardly in some respects but um yeah i i i don't know chris it's just one of these deals where i just wasn't uh sure that it was the right thing for myself and my family to do and 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 because of that i've decided to uh just try to take care of myself best i can uh, naturally and i'm not running a clinical trial over here but what i can say is anecdotally from, and I know this is not, you know, this is not how you, 
establish a, a pattern within a large uh, group of people. I can only speak from my experience. This isn't this isn't you know randomized, uh, clinically controlled uh, data that I'm sharing here. But what I can say is, amongst friends and family, number of people that I talked to had instances of breaking out into hives after getting the vaccine. You know, more more two separate sets of people told me that they broke out into hives after getting the vaccine don't know each other didn't know that each other had told me that just kind of two separate sets of people and again i said on my last podcast with dave column i talked to my my doctor my doctor is not vaccinated and my doctor said to me verbatim there's nothing wrong with being concerned about a vaccine that doesn't have long-term safety data and is still not fda approved those were his exact words to me so I take those things into conjunction with, you know, the fact that I'm 38. I'm in relatively good shape, like you said, right? I try to keep my natural immunity up. I try to keep myself in, in good shape. And, uh, you know, maybe there will be a point where I get the vaccine because I am under immense pressure like like you are. And there's something bothersome to me about that because usually when the crowd is all going one way, I want to go the other. It's my It's my natural instinct to go the other way before we even before I even look at the facts, (laughs) you know? But uh, something about it gives me the willies. Let me go back to what I was asking you before. With the way that we're abusing monetary policy now, and sorry to make a hard shift there, but I wanted to get that question in. With the way that we're abusing monetary policy now, what happens when we have a real problem, Andy? What happens when we get a solar flare that knocks out the grid? What happens when the next pandemic is 10 times as worse as COVID? We, you know, what has COVID told you about how the, the human condition is prepared to handle crises and how we're prepared from a monetary standpoint to handle them? What, what happens next time, man? Well, I, I think we're in, we're in for some serious trouble. We are unprepared and we lack unity, unification as a country. And this just proves it, that there's, there is such a, such a massive uh, divide between ideology and thought um that i think we are not prepared for let me give you an example you know uh, one of the one of the um one of the things that i that i talk about is the poor shape that the united states is in financially uh recently i was taking a look at their balance sheet um and was blown away by what i saw and uh, you take a look at a country that that is um, at this point, at the end of, of quarter one, 2021, had a, a debt of $27 trillion on book uh, and unfunded liabilities through Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security, government and military pensions that, that extends into $140 trillion by their, own, by their own metrics. And we talk about how big a trillion is, uh, 31,688 years ago was a trillion seconds. The numbers are so big, it's insanity with 40% of every dollar ever created in this country being done so last year in an effort to um, keep the ball up in the air. From a standpoint of what our government can do, what this country can withstand, we are woefully, woefully underprepared in in that example of 140 trillion in funded on and off balance sheet and unfunded liabilities the US government says that they have 4 trillion dollars in assets against 140 trillion in liabilities do you know by the way chris what the largest single asset is of the united states according to their 2021 balance sheet 
No, I have no idea what the uh, largest asset is. The largest asset, according to the United States government, uh, in uh, in 2021, is student debt uh, of <laughs> a student debt right now, which is of 1.58 trillion dollars. And uh, you know, this is a, a liability, obviously, on the consumer balance sheet. But uh, as far as Uncle Sam is concerned, it represents 34.7 percent of the total federal assets. It's three times larger than the total taxable receipts, um, receivable receipts. Yeah, Ab- absolutely uh, insane. Not, not only that, you know, we're talking about Social Security, right? So uh, people are, are reliant upon Social Security and, and pension funds. Uh, according to, to the, that same report, Social Security is $55.9 trillion underfunded. From an economic perspe- perspective, it dwarfs everything else. Uh, and it keeps getting worse with inflation. Uh, recently, the geniuses at the Social Security Administration actually lowered last year their forecast for inflation to 2.3%, yet it's running <laughs> twice that They're listening right to now. Neil Kashkari. They're listening to Neil, who said, uh, you know, I don't see uh, rising uh, inflation expectations. Right. And so the bottom line is, from a financial standpoint, uh, this country can't handle more of full modern monetary theory. It cannot handle basic universal income. Um, and when you talk about uh, a, a balance sheet that that has virtually, and you know, number two on the balance sheet is military, uh, military bases, guns, what have you, number three being land. You know, you take number one and two out of the equation and we have under a trillion dollars in assets. Uh, backed against uh, 140 trillion dollars in liabilities, this country cannot handle more of this type of of a situation. And God forbid, it gets worse. And I think I think it will get worse on many levels. You know, the you you look at what what is happening globally with the, in particular, the Chinese, and I believe that they are setting up to uh, to take the, the torch as as uh, the preeminent power in this country. And it all is going to take is for some sort of an event where the government continues to go down this this road of, uh, of destroying the currency in the name of um, uh, in the name of national security and through stimulus, where it'll be over. And I think you will see a point in time, and I would like to tell you the way that I look at that, uh, I think you'll see a point in time where the Chinese will come out and issue a gold-backed digital yuan. Now, Yeah, uh, I agree with you 100%. I've been saying that for years, and I agree with you 100%. And that's when it gets really scary. When the rest of the world dumps dollars in favor of an alternative, because right now the dollar is the is the prettiest mare at the slaughterhouse, and there aren't any alternatives better than the dollar globally. But the Chinese have been thinking in terms of decades and maybe even centuries. If you look at the pillars that they have put in place, yep. I believe to usurp the dollar as singular, I will use the word singular, world reserve, uh, if we see more and more complete... Um, I think you could say just a uh, moving away from what this country was founded upon 
and moving towards a more uh, a socialist agenda, we're in big trouble. Let me explain. Um, so, first of all, if we look at the pieces that have been put in place, and, and, and this, this goes to your question, because, you know, the U.S. has been able to do all of these things for, you know, 70, 80 years, whatever it is that they want to do, because we were the preeminent power, not just militarily, but also the engine of prosperity and growth in the world. We used to be the largest creditor nation. Now we're the largest debtor nation. We used to be the engine of manufacturing. Now that's been completely gutted and we produce virtually nothing. We are a country that consumes far more than it produces. That in and of itself is a problem. When you, when you consume more than you produce, you don't get wealthy, you go into debt. But suffice it to say, Take a look at what the Chinese are doing in response to all of the uh, policies that the U.S. has. Uh, number one, the first thing that they did several years ago uh, in conjunction with Russia and the other BRICS nations was to build a system that mirrors our SWIFT system. That's the first thing they did because the SWIFT system is what the uh, U.S. uses to impose sanctions upon countries when they misbehave according to our uh, according to our uh structure of, of, of or our standard of what is appropriate and what isn't. Uh, the most of Western Europe uh, is signing on to this new system, uh, much to the chagrin of the U.S. government. So that's peg number one. Peg number two, they built the Shanghai Gold Exchange, which would rival our COMEX market. And the reason that the Shanghai Gold Exchange has delivered almost 100 times more gold than the U.S. COMEX has in the last two years is because of the Chinese petro yuan, which is peg number three. The petro yuan bond will challenge the United States petrodollar uh, if push comes to shove. The Chinese have been buying oil from Gulf nations and natural gas from Russia and been paying with it for it usurping or sidestepping the dollar in settlement for energy with the Chinese petro-yuan bond. The Chinese petro-yuan bond uh, is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. This is why they've delivered literally double what the COMEX market has in the last couple of years. And I'll remind you that the COMEX market in 2020 delivered more gold than the Bank of India claims to have on their official balance sheet, more gold <laughs> than the Dutch National Bank, more gold than the Japanese Central Bank. You're talking more gold than has been delivered off the COMEX ever. Maybe a decade's worth of deliveries happened in 2020, all to the very, very uh, informed sovereign wealth funds. Uh, the, the next peg is of infrastructure. They build 12 airports a year, Chinese do. They have better roads and bridges. They build ghost cities, for God's sakes. They are building an infrastructure inside their country that is second to none in terms of uh, in, in terms of quality and in terms of sophistication uh, and and in terms of technology. And the last peg is of their external infrastructure, and that's the Belt Road Initiative, which you and I had to have talked about before. I'm assuming, which is the largest infrastructure project in human history. And it is connecting the most ambitious infrastructure program, too. It is connecting Asia and Africa. This is 70% of, of human population. 
45% of global GDP. And the only other person I've heard talk about this is your buddy, George Gammon. And I saw you on with George before. Really smart guy. He's the only other person I saw talking about this, which to me might be the biggest event period of all of our lives. When you have a country like China, who is indoctrinating seven out of 10 people in, in this world, 45% of global GDP before industrialization of so many of these parts of the world that haven't been industrialized with a new currency, a new digital Chinese yuan, uh, I think that is very foretelling for what comes next. When you have 70% of human population not using the dollar and being incentivized to use the new Chinese digital yuan, I think we all need to take a real close look on what's happening. And the, I guess you could add uh, the last piece total to this puzzle is what Alistair McLeod said a couple weeks ago. Alistair McLeod said that he believes China has 38,000 tons of gold. 20,000 by the state, 18,000 by the people. They're the largest producers and importers of gold in the world. They don't sell an ounce. Uh, and if that's true, that would be five times what we supposedly have. Now, here's where I think it all happens. When the dollar starts to circle down that inflationary drain, which I think it will, uh, when you see a government hell-bent on modern monetary theory and basic universal income, um, I think it will. Uh, the Chinese don't want to light the fuse yet as they have over $3 trillion in our assets. However, right. when, it gets to the, when it gets to the point that we have, I think, crossed the Rubicon of no return, you somewhat argue we already have, that is when I think they flip their wild card. And they say, we are going to now issue our digital yuan and we're going to peg it to gold. And here's our official gold holdings, which we never update. And we're going to have it audited maybe in, in a series of Swiss vaults or wherever it is. But we're going to peg it to gold and list the veracity of the gold and the amount that we have. And it's pegging on a distributed ledger. Right. And for and all good the world luck, motherfuckers, see, right? Good luck, everybody no, it's, else. It's, it's over at that point. Yep. Because you have, you have a culture based upon assets and a currency based upon assets versus one based upon the largest mountain of debt ever created and, in and human production history. and production too. They, and they production. produce everything they need in that country. You know what I mean? And not I, only, and well, that's right. And, and think about the, 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 they're building roads and bridges and railways and maritime channels that mimic only on a much greater extent, the Panama canal. So you are showing the world that it is a, and, and these roads that they're building are only, only people that can use these roads are commerce and military period. So you're going to have a road that is protected by military that is traveling, not just a road, bridges, railways, and maritime channels that are patrolled by the government that is just doing nothing other than transactions and moving goods back and forth. And the rest of the world, I think, will very quickly warm up to that idea. Yeah. And uh, so when, we, when you ask me the question, what are we going to do if there's another shit hits the fan moment? we're getting closer and closer and closer to no road back to a point where there is finally an alternative that will, I think, be a far better alternative to, to the dollar. And this is the first time we've been able to say that in 80 years. And we have no clue. We're fine just standing idly by, destroying our own currency. We have made no effort in, in the, you know, if you were to put onto a scale... Uh, you know, the, the balance between 
trying to hunker down, secure the you know uh, integrity of our country's financial situation, secure the integrity of our country's ability to be a productive country, uh, you know, conserve the integrity of our country, not needing to run enormous trade deficits, and just conserving, just looking at finances from a conservative standpoint. And really, both political parties in this country are to blame. Both have stood idly by while we have embarked uh, down this journey that we're on right now. When you put that on a scale, right, of, of doing what's right, doing what's patriotic over the course of the long term for our country and the economic and social stability of our country versus, you know, doing what, what, what can put a quick Band-Aid on a situation now to make sure that everybody is at 100% comfort level all the time to the point where you're doing it so much that there's overreach and it becomes counterintuitive the scale goes a hundred percent in the latter direction there hasn't been there hasn't been one percent of thoughtful critical thinking on what the long-term effects of what we're doing now are going to be and that's where the chinese differ from us greatly they are far more shrewd they are far smarter they have a much longer time horizon you know one of the things I used to say on podcasts uh, a while back uh, that people had picked out that, you know, some people, some of my listeners liked was, you know, uh, the Treasury was looking at like a 10-year plan. And I was like, why aren't we looking at a 200-year plan? What's stopping us from looking at a 200-year plan? Because while we're planning 10 years, you know, like you said, China has the foresight to make generational plans, you know, century-long plans, uh, and that's why they're just, you know, that's why they're just generally smarter than we are in general. And they're just more ruthless in the way that they do business. We see it with the intellectual property theft, with, the, you know, the way that they uh, conduct foreign affairs, which is you've seen with the spies in the U.S. and people kind of poo-pooing this, the idea that, oh, you know, Hick Vision cameras inside the Pentagon, what, what could they be doing, you know, transporting the images back to China? That would never happen. It's like, of course it's fucking happening, you idiots. You know, like, <laughs> come on. I don't need to be a fucking CIA expert to tell you that. I've, I've just known what I've read about China. And so, you know, my next question to you was going to be, well, where does it break first for the U.S.? What breaks first for the U.S.? And it sounds like you're saying it's going to be the dollar. The question is, will it just break versus uh, China. What happens in a situation where China says we pegged the yuan to gold and they flip the switch? They've, they've, they've lightened their exposure to treasuries and they flip the switch the next day. What happens the next day? What do markets look like you, the next day? You see interest rates that go to the moon. You see a dollar that precipitously loses value. You see bail-ins by the banks. You see gating by the money markets. Uh, you see, in my opinion, uh probably a sequestering of IRAs mandated into U.S. Treasuries. This is Ooh. what happened in 2009. Uh, in 2009, after the 08 financial crisis, there was a bill that made it all the way down to the House floor. It was voted down. But the minute that happened, I cashed my IRA out. At the time, I was 39 years old with three ch children. I had a an IRA that I had built at that time for 20 years. It was worth $600,000. I cashed it out. Uh, I paid a $60,000 10% early withdrawal penalty and a quarter million on taxes, and I never looked back. Because when that bill made it down to the House floor, the bill basically said that when we see these types of problems that will ultimately lead to a spike in interest rates, 
we want to sequester IRAs. Uh, we want to take them and make them uh, invest in an annuity of sorts guaranteed by the U.S. government filled with U.S. treasuries. And at the time, there was $17, uh, $17 trillion debt versus $17 trillion in IRAs in the United States. The number was almost exact. Uh, and although it was voted down, I think the genie was let out of the bottle. If you saw a mass dumping of dollars globally and interest rates started to spike and the dollar started to tumble, I think they will call in the name of national security on the U.S. to uh, on all of all of their taxpayers to turn over their IRAs and put them into what amounts to an annuity funded with U.S. treasuries to help stabilize. I think it becomes a game over moment where uh, again, you, you would see a massive shift. Half of the world hates the U.S. anyway these days, and a massive shift out of U.S. dollars, which are backed by debt and the government's ability to print, uh, and move to a, especially if they were transparent on a distributed ledger with the gold right, holdings, right. Uh, I think very quickly you would see a massive shift into a, a, a new BRICS nation currency. And I think you ultimately will see a two-tier system, a BRICS currency and a Western currency, if I had to guess. Uh, and I think you would see a huge shift out of the dollar. And I think at the same time, you will see uh, the ability, uh, I think they would throw in the ability to uh, transact in energy, uh, a shift away from the petrodollar, I guess is what I'm saying, is that uh, the Chinese petro yuan could very, very easily be tweaked into uh, being accepted by the Gulf states and all the other states that produce oil in favor of a dollar that's that's getting crushed. Look, if you're gonna if you're going to um, try to have a currency uh, that uh, is being inflated away rapidly, um, there's no incentive to hold it, especially if you're looking at Treasuries paying just over 1% in interest. Uh, people who are holding dollars are not being compensated for the inflation that we already see happening. And, you know, if, if you look at what John Williams is saying at Shadow Stats, he'll tell you inflation's at 13% right now. And, and he only calculates it based upon 1980 metrics before the government changed uh, the CPI numbers to, to uh, facilitate an inflationary program that they have. But Anyways, the bottom line is I think it gets really ugly really fast. You see interest rates spike. You see the dollar tumble. You see the government pull out all the stops and bail-ins, gating of, of money markets, and uh, and I think sequestering of IRAs would be probably the first things that they would do to uh, to stop the bleeding. Well, nobody can say that you don't have conviction in that belief if you took a fucking 10% penalty and paid a quarter million dollars in taxes on a $600,000 account. I mean, you must have felt sufficiently motivated to get that money the fuck out of there uh, because well, I did. you paid 40% essentially to take it out. I did, and I think desperate governments do desperate things. That's kind of the moral of the story. And the fact that it was even brought to the House floor was enough to make me say, you know— sure. One of these days, that's going to happen. Now, in retrospect, was it the right decision? Probably not. Uh, I probably would have done better leaving it there. It doesn't matter. I think I've always felt that, you know, you follow your gut and your intuition. You don't have to rely upon other people to make decisions. If you right. believe it's the right thing, you do good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, and I've always, always acted that way. I think 
Chris, we are deeply adrift in uncharted waters, and uh, there really isn't much in the way of of um, any precedent for which uh, uh, for which to guide us. And right. so I think in times like this, relying upon your own gut is 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 not a bad financial advisory recommendation. Well, and it goes back to what we were just saying about relinquishing your civil liberties, which is if you if you give them up, you're not getting them back. You know, if, if you allow them to test you every time you want to walk into a restaurant instead of allowing restaurant owners to run their restaurants the way that they'd like and allowing the market to kind of ration out who's going to go where, if they make it mandatory, you know, if they make it mandatory, then that's it. That's the new norm. You got to have your papers. You got to have your card. You got to have your medical records on you at all times. And it's akin to, you know, essentially having your private medical information on you at all. If you believe that being, you know, your vaccination status is a personal, uh, you know, uh, health decision, uh, similar to what prescriptions you take, right? What would you like to disclose what prescriptions you take when you go into a restaurant or what your, you know, what what the status of your, your insulin is or, you know, whether or not, and people say, oh, it's because it's contagious. It's because it's contagious. How would you like to have to turn over your HIV status when you walk into a restaurant? How would you like to tell people whether or not you've tested positive for the flu when you, when you walk into a restaurant? How about if bars and nightclubs made you disclose, you know, whether you had any sexually transmitted diseases in the past, you know, before you go and socialize with the clientele because if things get out of hand, you know, uh, somebody takes somebody else home. No, these things are all handled and adjudicated and dealt with amongst people and then, if necessary, in the civil courts and then, you know, of course, if, if necessary, if things get really bad in the criminal courts, you know, it's just too much. And this is exactly what you're talking about. Once once you relinquish them, you don't get them back. And what you're saying is you don't want to give the government an inch because you know they'll take a mile if you give them an inch, essentially. Well, and that's really it. And it's not that I, I'm, you know, diametrically opposed to a vaccine if it were really – forget about if it were the really. Nor I just I. don't like – yeah, it, it's just that I just don't think it is a good – uh, path for the United States to follow to go down that road because once you start going down that road, where does it end? And that's really the biggest problem is that, you know, what's made this country, one of the things that made this country great is the ability to choose uh, and the ability to have freedom of choice and of thought. Um, and, you know, it seems like all of these freedoms are being capped, whether it be uh, the, uh, the um, censorship online with uh, many of the YouTube channels, uh, whether it be the, um, the flat out, uh, you know, ostracizing people who are choosing, whether it be not to vaccinate their children or themselves, uh, whatever the choice is these days, it's creating far too much uh, visceral hatred, uh, one group or the other. And, and that to me is the scariest part of everything is the deunification of this country uh, to the point where you have so many um, uh, segments of the population who just dislike and don't agree with the others. Look, I left Minneapolis, uh, Chris, because in some ways it's kind of a microcosm of of the big picture where you had so much anger and hatred and um, uh, I don't even know what the word is to the point where 
the entire city went from being one of the greatest places to grow up and live to a place that I don't recognize anymore, where I didn't feel safe walking the streets, uh, where they burned down the third precinct on national TV police station, where all of the places I used to hang out in high school and in college have been burned down and boarded up. Such a such a different way of uh, of uh, conflict resolution uh, that it, it just became kind of a microcosm for the way that I look at the world in that there is no more um, or a, a the ability to to discuss things and to have differing opinions and to do so in a in an articulate adult-like behavior manner uh, is out the window and either you are it's very black and white world right now there is no gray and I'm very gray I like to look at both sides and either you are or you aren't in in just about every issue these days and if you aren't you are on the out if you are you're on the in and uh, it there isn't any respect of differing opinions anymore. And that to me is really the biggest issue that, that we face where, you know, uh, even to have opinions that you articulately lay out better than most, Chris, uh, there are a lot of people who would, you know, would just stop listening to you because you said you're not vaccinated. Well, that's not the point. That's not how it should be. We should listen to everyone's opinion and try to, take it all in and, 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 and discern what is the truth, what right. is the best course of action. And we are not even being allowed the ability to do so. We are being forced and mandated to, to a certain because, train of thought. Because it's not easy for people to understand that everybody else feels as sufficiently confident in their ideology, in their outlook on the world as you do. And so, you know, this is one of those things. This is one of the reasons why people feel like they have to force their ideologies on other people. You know, when I'm just the opposite, I, I, I want people to do whatever makes them happy. I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything. I will discuss anything, anywhere, with anyone. And I'll do it calmly. And I'll do it respectfully. And I'll do it without name calling. And I'll do it just in the interest of, like you said, whittling away at everything to get to what is the best practices? What are the answers that's going to drive a better quality of life for people in the country? What's the best thing for the human race? What is the closest thing to the objective truth? You know, what's going to get us there? I will talk to anybody about And it is possible. It's possible to do because, listen, I went and visited my parents a couple days ago. Me and my mom are on opposite ends of the spectrum on a lot of things politically, about COVID, whatever. And we had a discussion and it was a, you know, at points a rigid discussion, but we both made concessions. You know, when she said Trump fucked up at, at his first glance at uh, taking on the virus, I said, you're fucking absolutely right. He did fuck up. He shouldn't have came out. He shouldn't have said there's 15 cases going to zero. You know, I said it at the time. I think you're 100% right. And when I said to her, the Democrats were the one calling people racist and xenophobic for you know, avoiding Chinatown and for avoiding international travel and all the things they were doing at the beginning of COVID. She said, you know what? You're right. And so we, we, we conceded these things in the interest of really trying to get to, you know, we were having a, a discussion about something. We were trying to get to what the answer was together, coming in from two different sides. And that's an uncomfortable exercise for a lot of people, especially if you've been living 
in a government-run echo chamber where the objective of the government and of the central banks and of the elites is to try to make you feel at comfort and really get you to look the other direction so that, you know, when they do come in and usurp a couple silver liberties, you're like, yeah, it's okay. I can just keep playing Xbox. It doesn't really affect me. Whatever. But the point is, it's an uncomfortable exercise to come in from two different angles and to try to arrive at an objective truth, to try to arrive at a list of best practices for the country, for yourself, for your family, whatever. And unfortunately, Andy, to what you're saying, people just aren't cut out to do it. They don't, we, you know, we don't have a nation full of rugged individuals anymore that can take criticism, that can, you know, that are able to examine these things. People get offended if you call them the wrong thing, if you look at them the wrong way. I mean, somebody was complaining the other day, some professor fucking had to apologize for saying that only women can get pregnant. Like, that's where we are right now. Somebody was offended by that comment, right? That's how far from reality we are right now. So it's it's an uncomfortable exercise, but it's necessary. That's what I'm getting at, and this is why you're good at what you do. You can articulate things. Like I said, I I do so many of these podcasts uh, per week, always talking about economics, kind of caught me off guard going down this road, which seems to be a taboo for a lot of – people I talk to because they're afraid they're going to get taken off of uh, YouTube for even mentioning the pandemic. But uh, you you said it the best way that I've heard yet is that they're just a concession, a calm discussion, uh, a valuing of of opinion, of listening to uh, someone's opinion, trying to weigh the facts. uh, And whether or not you, you agree or disagree, a civil discussion. This is the type of divisiveness that we are seeing that is so opposite of what you're saying, where right. uh, people's opinions are just being disregarded. And uh, I think it's 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 set, you know, Doug Casey talks about a civil war coming in this country, as laughable as that always sounded. Is it so laughable anymore? I mean, you know, red states, blue state, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, rich, poor, you name it. Uh, there is just a deunification in this country that on many levels that is being fostered by, by the government. And I, I, uh, I, it makes me very, very, very uncomfortable. This is one of the biggest reasons I picked up and left. If you would have told me in 2019 that I'm leaving Minnesota and moving to Florida, I'd say, you're out of your mind. I'll bet you a million dollars. I'm not. It was, it was the most, um, spontaneous decision I've ever made in my life. And, you know, it, it just happened because in my gut, I knew it was, knew it was the right thing to do. And, um, it it is, it is because of exactly what you're saying, uh, that, that I felt I had to make this move. And this to me is more concerning than a lot of the economic things in that when we see this next event, this country is so divided that are we able to pull ourselves together as a unified nation and pull ourselves back up? You know, we've lost our manufacturing. We've lost, in many respects, our work ethic. Our currency is becoming worth less. Uh, you know, we, we are a country that produces debt, consumes more than we produce. Uh, we are a, a country that is a far cry from what we were after World War II uh, when uh, a country was based upon unity, upon, uh, upon hard work, upon ethics, upon uh, religion, upon so many things that made this country great that 
are a far cry from where we are right now. And I just don't know that we will be able to, as a country, um, pull ourselves together when we've already embarked upon the, the, the path that we have. That, you know, in answering your question, I don't think we're prepared to handle another major, major event. And especially if it were being challenged for world reserve currency and the ramifications of a massive dollar dumping, we would head into a massive depression. And I think in that respect, maybe a hyperinflationary depression, a hyperstagflation, where it's the worst of all environments, where you see prices going to the moon and little or no economic growth. And uh, that's a spiritual experience, and especially in the respect that for the first time ever, stocks, bonds, and real estates are and real estate are all positively correlated to one another. Right. Stocks and right. stocks and bonds used right. to be inversely correlated. Right. If interest rates rise, everything collapses at once that everyone in this country is invested in. Yep. And then what happens? Well, who owns all the real estate right uh, now? If you want to know and, what happens, take the react take the country's reaction to COVID and times it by about 10,000. Right. Well, and, and that's why you get uh, uh, the guy for uh, the World Bank or the World Monetary Organization, the Klaus, whatever his name is, who talks about you won't own anything and you'll be happy. Who owns all the residential real estate right now? Fannie, Freddie, and BlackRock? Uh, what happens when there's a problem and you see mass uh, default, when interest rates rise and people lose their money and lose their home? Who owns it all? The government and the big, the, you know, the big, 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 big money. Uh, and, you know, uh, I think this country is not prepared even a little bit for that type of an environment. And, and I think people should be concerned about that. When we talk about owning precious metals, Chris, it's not to get rich. It's, it's to get outside the system. Um, and you can see the biggest money in the world has been doing that for the last several years. Uh, and it's for this, this type of an environment altogether. When, you know, when during World War II, when, when um, this country was facing tremendous odds, uh, and, you know, we were a unified country. And I just don't see us being able with the, with the fracturing uh, of this country the way that it is to, to be able to withstand something of that nature, especially if it is of, uh, of one that economically uh, blows things up. If interest rates rise, God help this country. That's just oh, yeah. the bottom line. Yep. And and the funny thing is, is that both roads ultimately lead to rising interest rates. You have a Federal Reserve right now that is the only one foolish enough to be buying 10-year treasuries paying 1.2% when inflation right. by their own standards are running four times that. Right. And so if they continue to do that, that leads to Weimar Republic. That leads to hyperinflation. Interest rates rise or they back away from it, let Mother Nature take over. And the whole thing just collapses as interest rates spike. Both roads lead to the same place. And back in the day, when things got scary, people would run to bonds. Can't do that anymore. Yep, with you know, with with interest rates at less than when you talk about real interest rates, uh, actually uh, already real terms negative. Um, you can't do that. You know, when I started in this industry, a ten-year Treasury paid nine percent. $2 million would net you 180000 a year that you, you could live off of and pass your principal on to your future generations. That same investment right now would cost you uh, $20 million. Right. And so when you, talk, when you talk about places to put your money, there aren't any. And so people are fully invested in stocks and bonds 
and real estate. There aren't any alternatives other than precious metals, which are the only inversely correlated asset to the U.S. stock market anymore. And, uh, you know, when it, when it blows up, he or she who loses least wins because everybody is fully invested in traditional assets, which have all become positively correlated to one another and inversely correlated to interest rates. So this is all about holding interest rates down. But what if all of a sudden there's a massive dumping of dollars because there is another currency that stands up to challenge the dollar for singular world reserve status? That is what I see as the end game. And is this country in any position whatsoever to withstand that? Um, and I would say, no, it's not. And, and so when you ask me, where do we go? Uh, I think it's, it's to a very dark place that if people aren't prepared for it, um, I think the bottom line is that if you save completely in dollars and in traditional assets, you're destined to ultimately go broke. And, and that's really my biggest concern from a financial standpoint, because I think we will be challenged. I think there will be other events. There will be other problems that, you know, uh, we have proven that we are going down a road where uh, we aren't able to handle it and nor are the solutions that uh, that we are throwing out there probably uh, appropriate for for the for the for the environment when when you see both uh, democrats and republicans vote for this infrastructure bill which only a very small portion of it actually goes to infrastructure and the rest of it goes to god knows where stupid programs that have nothing to do with bridges and airports and roads and uh we have already lost our bearing and um i think that uh, it doesn't bode well for the future yeah i agree andy i want to thank you so much for doing the podcast today on short notice literally i texted you this morning I said, dude, let's do it today, man. Let's say, you know, I need to talk to you. Sometimes, and that's pretty much how I do my podcast scheduling. I'll be like, yeah, I haven't talked to this fucking guy in a long time. I was literally thinking, you know, I wonder what Andy Sheckman thinks of this whole big mess. And so I appreciate you doing that. And not only that, but I appreciate your candor uh, with the questions that, you know, you never receive in advance. I never give anybody questions in advance. I just like having a conversation with people in the same interest. You know, if you had told me that you were vaccinated and you gave me a reason, and I would have loved to talk to you about it too, you know? So the, the, the point is just to have open dialogue. And I, I appreciate your candor. Before you jet, uh, tell my listeners about Miles Franklin and what it is that you guys do. Uh, we are a precious metals company. Um, we are old school. We have for years done things offline. We have been um, very successful at it, yet I do uh, understand the relevance of having an online presence. We are building an online, uh, a new website that will allow for online purchases. Uh, it has been my mission to offer the best price in America. Uh, to everyone that I do business with for for uh, to the best of my ability for the last couple of years. Um, I think uh, if people give us a call, they will see that. Uh, we have um, never had a customer complaint in 31 years. We've done $6 billion of sales. We're one of only 27 companies that the U.S. Mint has ever approved as a reseller of their product. And although I moved to Florida, I left my corporate office in Minnesota because it is the only state in America that uh, requires licensing and bonding of the industry. Uh, it simply means that um, in a federally non-regulated industry uh, that you could not work with a safer company. 
uh, I would like to offer your listeners uh, a special right now. Uh, if they send an email to info at Miles Franklin and, and mention, mention quote the Raven, I will sell them 2021 silver United Kingdom Britannias at $3.75 over the price of silver. We can do 10-ounce silver bars, brand new, CNT Eagle bars for $2.50 over. Uh, I will make sure that your listeners get the best price in America, Chris, and um, that is really our mission is to uh, help as many people as we can. Uh, we are old school. It does require a phone call or an email, but we'll make it worth their while with the best price, the safest uh, transaction, and uh, certainly it would be uh, it would be my honor to to help and assist your listeners. All they got to do is mention your name, put it in the subject line, send it to info at Miles Franklin. And I'll make sure they get the best price in America on whatever it is they want to buy. And I'm going to go one further and I'm going to say, or you can email Andy at milesfranklin.com. I'm going to give out your personal email address without your, without asking your permission <laughs> to do so. Just because I want it for my listeners if they want it. You know, I have access to you. So now they have access to you also. I apologize if that's overreach, but that's how it goes. No, my that's, show, that's my rules, good. man. <laughs> that's, all, that's all good, brother. You know, I put my... Uh, my personal email out on um, on the Economic Ninja the other day. I got almost a thousand emails. So it's Jesus uh, Christ. I, I was up till three thirty in the morning last night replying to emails. It's something that I do. I, accessibility is very important to me. And uh, you know, look, Chris, uh, I, I appreciate your candor as well, and I appreciate uh, your line of discussion. Although it did catch me slightly off guard, wasn't prepared for it. Uh, I hope people understand that whatever your choice is, vaccination, not vaccination, whatever it is, uh, Democrat, Republican, I still, I still respect the discussion. I still respect the, the ability to have a discussion and learn other viewpoints, because if we don't share differing viewpoints, we'll never grow, we'll never learn. And, uh, you know, I hope I'm not proven wrong. Uh, I, hope that, uh, I hope that this passes and becomes a, a distant bad memory. But uh, in the meantime, I'm always open to catching up with you and chatting about things and, and, and looking at both sides of the coin. And uh, that's something that I think is very important and has been lost in this country for a long time. So thanks for the opportunity. And Yeah, dude, I'll drink to that, to by the way. I, I will drink to that. And let me know when you're in Philly, all right? We'll catch up for a cold one. I would love that, Chris. I appreciate you, brother, all very right. much. Andy Sheckman, thanks so much, brother. That was the one, the only Andy Sheckman kind enough to take my call on a what the fuck is today Wednesday or whatever it is who cares Andy's a good guy man love talking to him great discussion big shout out again to my patrons thank you guys so much for continuing to support the show on Patreon and those of you that have checked in on PayPal I see you guys too and I just want to let you know I get every single one of your emails I appreciate you guys very much. Uh, you are the engine behind this podcast. All I do is show up and just talk to people I find interesting. Uh, so I genuinely, uh, and we just passed three and a half million listens on Podbean and other platforms. And I think when you combine that with YouTube, I'm close to five million total listens. Not bad for buying a microphone and just jerking around for a couple years on a podcast. Couldn't do it without you guys. I got an immense amount of love for you. And, uh, we're going to figure all this shit out together. All right, fools, I'm out of here. Everybody have a great back end of your week and a wonderful mid-August 
summer's coming to a close. I hate to tell you, so get those last few Coronas in. Get those last few rum drinks in down at the beach bar in Atlantic City outside of Bally's. I'll see you fools down there. All right, I'm out of here. Peace.